Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colt Pierce. Colton, how are you doing? Uh, I don't understand the Russian uh, accent uh, with the strong, uh, but uh, we're doing good. We just had a really great weekend in Los Angeles. I'm still trying to recover from what Tim's college bar believes is an old fashioned <laughs> and so uh i'm i'm fine we made it through we're alive uh it's great time at the clash uh nascar is back after the super bowl obviously but it was a great time so got a lot of energy going into this week after a great weekend how are you doing tim doing well doing well back from nascar the long weekend it always is at the race, although not as bad as when we're, it's not as grueling as it is when we're in Vegas or Sonoma, but, uh, yeah, there's less, uh, ground to cover less when it's only, cover. when it's only a 400 meter track, yeah. a lot less ground to cover. And we're there, we're just covering it for my company. Our, uh, our photography needs are a little bit different than the track, although we shoot a little somewhat similar, but. A lot less corporate stuff to go around shooting, so right. Uh, it was a little more laid back. Like you didn't have to do the fan zone. Like you didn't have to do, you know, a lot of stuff. You got that stuff, but it wasn't yeah. like you need to cover that. We you didn't really, have to do the advertising and all right. that kind of stuff. The billboards and yeah. So, but it was still uh, a full day, two full days. Yeah, and, uh, eventful times on uh, Los Angeles public transportation. <laughs> I that was yeah that was fun is <laughs> an experience for sure so we're here with uh we've got a full house tonight we've got two guests one of which at least you'll hear from maybe the other my son Jeff is here visiting from Oklahoma hi and then his wife Maddie is here also Hi. <laughs> so the studio is full. We don't have any cleanup on all fives or? Yeah, we do. You got to say for yourself this time. You got to clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle five. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up in all the aisles. Oh. Well, we do. Yep. It's time for you to double down. What am I doubling down on? By I will actually. It's if you want me to double down on mine, but it's also something that you said I need a week to think about it, and it's been a week. So. Oh, and I I don't even know. If I, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't even you didn't about. even think about it. Uh, on whether or not. People should read the Bible if they're equipped well enough to do so. Ah, yes. <laughs> ah, yes. Tim may need another week. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think I'm going to agree, and I think that's a good topic that we should just discuss in general. Sure. We'll do it at another uh, date. But... At another date, because I part of the problem, let's just, we'll hash this out for a couple minutes, but we'll, we'll, we'll lay down a predicate for a, a deeper discussion that I think does need to be discussed, because I think about it a lot of times, not just when we're prepping for the show, I thought about it today, about the show we're dealing with, and then I just, it's just over the years... We have the two tensions of trying to be very specific about what Jesus said, mm. which is necessary, but in some ways it's only necessary in how dogmatic or doctrinal you're going to be about what he said. Right. And so one of the things we've, I think, talked about in a lot of episodes is we create, we've created additional rules to what it means to be a Christian. And if you're going to do that, then you better damn well know what Jesus was really talking about when he said something. What was the word he really meant? Right. And I think maybe the lesson is is to be less dogmatic about things and, let, and maybe trust that God in his plan knew that after 2000, maybe 3000, who knows how long this is going to go on, people are going to hate, people are going to hate to hear me say this, the Bible can adjust, evolve, say a little bit to what, where people are, what language they're in on certain parts of the gospel. But the, the, the key parts that you and I have always talked about, which are the thing, the core, that's pretty clear. But when we get yeah. into discussions like we're going to talk tonight about love your enemies and we're going to have literally thousands of books written about it and arguments over it. Right. Then, yeah, you better know exactly what word he meant. But maybe that's missing the forest through the trees and trying to get really literal. And maybe we should just take a step back and try to get a general idea of what he was talking about. Yeah. And so all that to, to say, yeah, if you're not really if you're not really literate, you probably should just go to pick a good church and someone you trust. That's the the key part who's going to explain to you what the gospel is. I mean, we 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 believe this we, we do this as Americans, well, not just Americans, but just as westerners with uh missionaries. Yeah, we go teach them, we try to translate the Bible so they can ultimately do it, but we but it's it's literally coming from one person. It's literally coming from one person, and they are reading it. And nine times out of ten, they're reading an English. They're translating an English version, right? And trying to translate into some new language that someone's found, and trying to. So it's being again being translated four or five times before it gets to this, these persons. And yet we get so hung up on particular words. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, and I think that the emphasis is on the fact that. If this is something that you're interested in and this is something that you're passionate about and you want to email us and tell us that we're wrong on this, I understand where you come from on that. Um, this is – it's a hot take. It's a, it's a hot take. But I do think that when it comes to the scriptures and it comes to the, comes to the Bible and the teachings, most people are not equipped to read it, but yet there's such a huge push – from the churches to say you need to be reading your Bible every single day, every single time. And, I mean, you hear it every Sunday. This is how you get in connection with God. And there is an aspect of that that I don't want to deny. 
Um, and so I, I think there is good in that, but there's also, you need to, you need to be equipped with tools in order enough to be able to do so. And a lot of churches, in my opinion, do not equip their congregation with tools in order enough to be able to fully understand what is being said in the scriptures. We teach people the teachings of Jesus Christ on a Sunday morning. That's what you get on a regular basis is usually the teachings and the overall intention of that for the most part is for your sanctification and for you to continue to be a part of the body of the church and that is their main goal it's actually not a majority of churches the reason that they teach is not to actually inform you about how to become a teacher yourself so much as for you to be reinforced in your idea of who jesus is that's mainly what a sunday service is for the most part it doesn't teach you how to um how to become a better reader of God's scriptures, um, which, sure, I, I, if you think back on history and you look back and before the printing press, nobody had access to the Bible other than the people in the in the church. And we've talked about it several times where you need to stop giving authority to your pastors. They're not these all speaking beings. But at the same time, these are people that have gotten degrees in divinity and, you know, uh, and understanding the scriptures. So it's, it's just a interesting time where the Bible is as accessible as it has ever been. And it continues to become more accessible every single day. But just because it's accessible doesn't mean that reading it is a good thing sometimes well here's the elephant in the room that we haven't you talked about the printing press the church flourished for 300 years without a bible there was no written down right you had jews who knew the old testament mm-hmm. or what we call the old testament they would have called it something different they called it the hebrew bible the hebrew bible yeah and they would have read other things that aren't, aren't, they would have been aware of other things that are in what um, modern Jews would read also that we don't have in our Hebrew Bible. But they were. Right. And then they might have, and they might have been in a church where one of Paul or Peter's or James's letters had been written. Yep. And then when. But they weren't reading things. Right. They and, were aware of. And then when they did get the book, they had the Septuagint. Right. Which is the Hebrew Bible plus a couple of books that uh, were written in Greek, not originally in Hebrew. This was one of Martin Luther's big things that he had happen. This was a big split between the Protestant and the Catholic Church. That's why if you pick up a Catholic Bible, you'll find a couple of extra books in the Old Testament section. Those are from the Septuagint, not from the Hebrew Bible. So they're not wrong. They're not bad. They don't. There's nothing, it was literally the only reason that Martin Luther didn't want them was because they were not originally written in Hebrew. Right. That's it. Yeah, they were written in the couple hundred years before Jesus. Yeah, when when, Hel- when Hellenism was at its peak. Right. That's where you were at, so. Um, yeah, I, this kind of goes in line with my theory about us being in a digital age and how we have to rethink things. The church, I think, definitely... The printing press, coupled with, um, let's let's just say universal, basically universal uh, 
literacy in a country like the United States and England, Western Europe opened up new opportunities. And I think it functioned well for a couple hundred years, but I think it's created problems where we spend more time thinking about what we're supposed to be doing than doing what we're supposed to be doing. And as we've talked about on mentioned in a couple of podcasts, we've so broken down the Bible into verses where we weaponize verses rather than let alone chapters or, but, and it's gotten away from looking at the scripture in a more holistic way. And the one of the things I I'm looking forward to with the way internet's going with like YouTube and a lot of that kind of stuff is hum, the human brain for most of humanity has functioned as a verbal beast sharing things verbally. Yes. It's only recently that we've shared things written. Right. And we, those of us who grew up in a written world, particularly an analog written world, books and magazines and newspapers, see this as a terrible thing. But really, it's just a small little blip in human evolutionary history that we've communicated that way. Yeah, exactly. And it might be better that we get back to where we're sharing the gospel the way it was done initially and the way the what we would call the Old Testament was shared, which is people telling stories. And to your point about, you know, uh, reading your Bible and, you know, having, don't give too much authority to a pastor. We'll, we'll hope we'll keep saying it over and over again on this, on this podcast. The place you need to be is with other people who are either like-minded with you or maybe you got a good group where some people are maybe a little less mature quote-unquote, as Christians, and you've got some people who are good mentors. The best time to become a better Christian is just being around better Christians. It's not the one hour you're sitting in church. That's just the time to kind of feel good about yourself. Yeah. But if you're going to grow, it's really being around other people and challenging one another and asking questions and and that kind of thing. So I th- I think you're I think you're onto something. I've never thought about that. I've never even heard anyone mention that. I guess that's what happens when you're sitting alone in a Tesla. <laughs> Not listening to any music, remember? <laughs> wow. So, what are we drinking tonight? Sitting here, drinking beer, talking guys, drinking beer, killing time, living life with some Oh my goodness, we went to clean up on aisle five before we talked about what we were drinking. We did. Well, we're out, we're a little bit of the room's packed. We're out of sorts. We got started late. Yeah, we are drinking. Uh, we've talked about it before. We talked about our wonderful uh, brewery up north. We love them. Uh, shout out to them opening up a Windsor location because now their beer trickles southward. Uh, we have a Russian River R and D series, uh, which we had the twelve when we were there um, last time, and this is now what? This is the seventeen. Is seventeen. That? I've never yeah. seen it. I'm sure you can get it bottled around here, but I've never seen the bottle. I hadn't seen it, uh, and it's delicious. So it's fantastic. so tasty. Uh, a lot of breweries have a common flavor palette with them. Um, where that maybe the the brewmaster likes a certain hot blend and kind of that kind of stuff, and yes, Russian River has a palate that is when you drink it, it is you can tell that it's a Russian River brew. It's just it's nice. 
it's light, it's crisp every time on every single one of their beers. Um, and so it's yeah, just it's just good. It's good, good beer. We also have another one coming from down south in Los Angeles. We checked it out this last weekend. This place called Lawless. Is that our Lawless Brewing Company in North Hollywood? Yeah, um, and it's uh, this is a cold IPA for those of you guys that are unfamiliar with cold IPAs. This was a, a process founded in Portland, Oregon, um, where they do something to the hops, where they uh, they freeze them. And it creates this really crisp, light-tasting beer, but still keeps the ABV of a standard IPA or sometimes a higher one. Um, so you get this almost, uh, yeah, you just get this lighter feeling um, from the beer. Um, not, uh, it's it's still flavor forward, but uh, think of it more of flavor profile of a session IPA, but still packing the same punch as a regular IPA. So yeah, and when they're done well, they're really good. I've had a couple. Of oh, they're really ass, and they're terrible. They're really good when they're done well. Uh, Ballast Point has another good one too. So, Jeff, what are you doing here? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. Uh, moved out to Oklahoma, going on two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, with my at the time girlfriend, and since then become my wife, Madison. Um, Started working at a jail out there, so when I found out partially what we're talking about tonight, I felt like I had a decent amount to add. Um, started working at the jail, went through a reserves program. I am now a deputy sheriff with the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and we're actually here to take care of a, a lot of our last-minute planning for our wedding stuff. And uh, heard there was a podcast getting recorded tonight, and thought I'd see if I could jump in. He's like living the whole like Merle Haggard lifestyle right now. I mean, he was from California, but he's still an Okie from Muskogee, and he was at prison. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Merle Haggard, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so topic for tonight. Love your. Did Bubba Wallace actively attack Austin Dillon? He did not love his enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Because Bubba Wallace's enemy the other night was uh, Austin Austin Dillon, Dillon, which I think was everybody's enemy except his teammate Kyle Bush. Uh, yeah, we can get into Oh, boy. That was a whole podcast right there. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. What is our topic for tonight, Tim? Uh, yeah. Tonight's topic is when you get run off the road, you sulk in your car for 20 minutes, uh, sipping on your sippy cup, (laughs) which is what Bubba did. We're sorry, Bubba. We loved you. We were pulling for you. Uh, one of our friends is a big fan. (laughs) One One of our friends is a big, big fan. Uh, we were sad to see that happen to you. You got jacked. <laughs> but but what you did was also hilarious and made us laugh, so. <laughs> Apparently, okay, just real quick, as a side note, we, we couldn't see this from where we were at at the Coliseum because we were up pretty high. But apparently the spotters were noticing that in the heats, when they're 
when the drivers who were not driving, so they'd either just finished or they were already out there waiting to get in for the next round, apparently they were all standing by their cars, like talking to each other, laughing at all of the craziness that was going on out on the track. Dude, the second heat was hilarious. If anybody didn't see the clash or wasn't able to see that, I'd go back and watch the second qualifying heat for the clash because it had Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yes. Uh, and it was and um and wasn't uh Kyle Busch in that one too? Yes. It was a hilarious round of people just bumping the heck out of each other to try and get in those top five spots. It was so funny. So anyways, all right, we're, we're talking about loving your enemies. Tonight. Yeah, we're talking about loving the, your enemies. The uh, Probably the... It's, it's, well, I guess we need to do, first talk about what Jesus says and how he says it. And is it a commandment? What is it? Because there seems to be debate about that. So, love your enemies. It comes from, it's in two books of the Bible. Luke and Matthew. Luke's the one we want to read. We'll read both. (laughs) Uh, They're part of the Beatitudes. So I'll read Luke first. We're in chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give it to everyone who begs from you, and from anyone who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, get back to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expect, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And that's from the ESV version. The extra spiritual version. That's true. (laughs) And then Matthew is chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray to those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sins and sins reigns on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than for others? Do not let, do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. So those are our two verses. We have 
Luke in uh, Matthew, again, um, for those, just a brief explanation. We've gone over it several times, but just it's a new episode. It's a new day. Just quick refresher. When you're looking at Luke, you need to understand the audience that it's trying to present itself to, um, kind of understanding that Jesus is this burden-bearing Messiah. So if you listen to that one, again, there's a lot more emphasis on this portion of love your neighbor or love your enemy um, kind of stuff because these are these burdens that you are going to have to have with you. Um, Matthew, again, Jesus is or, Jesus is the son of God. Um, he's presented as that the entire time. Um, and so these are almost kind of more like the commandments kind of set up. Um, both are good, very similar, um, no huge differences in between the two Gospels on this one, none that would be of any concern or any discrepancies or anything like this. This one's pretty pretty clear what it is that it's asking of you to do. So I think that that's important to note before we get this started. Yeah. Now what's what's the big are you, what's the big some would some would call it a caveat. I think some overly make too big of a point of what the caveat is of what of who Jesus is speaking to and what he's trying to say. You know what I'm getting at? You're asking who is he trying to speak to? The audience that is in his particular in this situation? Is that yeah. what you're asking? So who is it that makes up the people that he is preaching to at this time? Uh, yeah, so the people that would be in this is you have a largely Jewish population that's surrounding him, um, and the biggest, well, there's several different factions. If you go back into the issues, and maybe I'm going a completely different route, but this will still be important information for people to understand, uh, is if you go back far enough and you look at the jews there's lots of different factions that the jews were putting themselves in almost kind of like political parties um it just kind of depended on how extreme you were about how much you hated rome um uh and so whether or not you viewed them as your friend or not and kind of how that went around um there were different people and so they also hated each other across those factions because of how extremely they hated rome um and how less extremely they hated rome and so um that was a big issue is that what you're talking about or no you got something else well, for you're, you're close but the, the big thing is at this point in jesus's ministry a lot of people who are following him including you could argue probably the disciples um are looking to jesus as a physical manifestation of what the prophets would have been talking about and they are they are looking to jesus as an overthrower of the roman their roman persecutors yes and so jesus again according to a lie i mean this is a very common commentary because it's true jesus is speaking to to this crowd and probably shocking them and saying yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to love the Romans just as you would love yourself. Right. My problem is a lot of the commentary then starts saying, "But that was what Jesus meant for that crowd." So, and then you can see that it starts 
we're we're going to now say, but what does that mean for us today? <laughs> because that's what Jesus meant for the Romans. But does that does he mean that for us? Like, if this was nineteen seventy three, does he really mean that? Would Jesus mean that for us with the Russians, the Soviets? What do you mean it for your own government that's in place currently? Yeah, I mean, you know, for those of us who think we're in more of a banana republic, then does that does that apply to our own government or whatever, wherever government you are? But friends of my friends in Kenya are oppressed by their government, right? Are we wanting to get into this this early? Well, okay. We'll we'll answer that I guess as we we get going. The operative word I suppose is trying to define what love means. No, right, right. So what because you... this the problem with this verse is it's used. You know, it can be used by. It's used by pacifists to say this is what Jesus means. You know, you can't go kill, go go around killing your enemies. It's used for people who you know don't want to go to war. Jesus says, "Love your enemies." Do you have the original Greek that you can pull up? I do not. You want me to find it? You want me to effort that? Can you Google search it for me? Because, I mean, here's here's something that's important, is that I can sit here and I can say what the original Greek word is. Because we've all, maybe, I don't want to say we've all heard it a trillion times, um, but I feel like a lot of us have heard it enough and so let's fact check it. You want Matthew or Luke? Mm, Luke. Luke will be the one if it has it. Oh gosh, deplete. I was like, please get the verse for me. And the one where you're looking for the word that has love in it, because then I can find it, because I'm going to have to do a trick here. Oh, God. 27 have love is like that's the one you want. Agapate. Yep, love dearly. There you go, there's your agapate. So that's your, that's your word that you want. That's your love. That's your Greek definition of the word love. But is that the word Jesus used when he said it in the Aramaic? <laughs> there's a book out there that argues that he said it in Greek. So Really? Yeah, there's a there's a, a professor that wrote a book that said, uh, did Jesus speak Greek? Hmm. Which, uh, just for anybody out there that's listening to this, it's, it's just from the argument of just Hellenism had created that big of an influence in the area. He probably spoke Aramaic. He also spoke... Sure. Uh, Hebrew, but then there's uh, there's speculation that maybe uh, what would have been a common language that maybe they might have used would have been Greek um, for some of this stuff. So uh, 
But even then, it doesn't matter because it was written in Greek. Um, the scholars, whenever they write it down, they're going to write it down in Greek at this point um, because that's that's the learning process. Luke would have wrote it that way. And so, again, this is that agape, if you ever hear them say that one. Um, Greek is such an interesting language um, to learn for anybody that ever uh, reads it or learns it is... <laughs> is the way that they structure any sentence is just based off of what sounds the prettiest. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes it very frustrating and difficult to read. And so the way that a word can sound is, so agape is the root word. And then it could be, you know, it has this ete because of its its place in the sentence to right. make it sound prettier with everything. So this is, so if, you're, if your pastor ever says agape, that, that works. Um... And they don't need to explain all of that to you. They don't need to explain to you the nine, 12 different tenses that go along with every single way to say agape um, and where it's at in a sentence. So according so, to GreekBible.com, this, this means uh, to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. Of, right. Of persons. Right. And so this is where they say that there's different types of love that can be expressed in Greek. And this one was... These are the ones that you hold the closest. This is what you would say of your children. Because these are your agape. Like you will love them that closely. Right. And the reason why you say children is, again, um, this is that unconditional love. That's why it's important to go back to the Greek and see it there. It's when you, th when you think about loving your children, it comes from, and not all parents do this. But hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're able to relate to this. And um, and if you are a parent, you're able to sit there and say, I love my children. No matter how many times they mess up, no matter what dumb shit they do, I still love them so much. Um, so, they don't want what's best for them. So what Jesus is essentially saying is, if you are, if you're following me, you need to love others the way I and my father love you, which is, I love you even when you despise me. Right. And you're supposed to live the same way. Right. Which, if there's probably some people listening to this saying, well, what about the Old Testament? When he's not loving people that don't agree with him, and he's killing them. Yeah. Well, I have an answer to that. Oh, okay, cool. My answer to that is I was like, that's, I have an that's, answer that's to where it. you that's where you and I both agree that you cannot look at the Old Testament as a literal book where it's describing what God did, but it's but you and I correct me if you disagree or I'm not quite getting what your view is. The Old Testament is better to be understood as ancient people grasp grappling with who God is and how he interacts. And so when the Old Testament says God smote some tribe because they did something wrong, that is the human interpretation of David or whoever the author is. Yeah. Interpreting I... how God interacts. And and they're basically, their, their view of God is no different than all the other gods around them, which is bad. You know, when bad things happen, we're going to blame God. Right, I think... When we win a war, it's because God blessed us. When we lose, it's because God is angry at us. Right, that is, and that's how the Old Testament works. 
um, and you can see that regularly. And God and Jesus, when he shows up, tries to eliminate those ideas and those thoughts, um, and tries to explain that through uh, several different parables. But ultimately, when it comes down to to them and what it is that they're what they're dealing with, they say, you know, um, you know, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was distracted. Um, so like when it, what bothers me is when people say the, the human violence that happens and then they justify it through God's, and that's what I would say about the old Testament is that a lot of that can't be taken where it's like God wanted them to go into the place and kill every single man in the place and take all the women and children for themselves. You know, like that's, that's a really, that's, pl- that's Viking-esque, right? right? Exactly. You know, like, oh, but, oh, well, and also the women and children that they take for themselves also have to not be touched by a man. So kill all of those ones, but keep the virgins for yourself. And a lot of you would argue, you're like, that seems barbaric and that sounds fairly similar to like other things that I've heard about other countries and their whole system. And it's like, yeah, that was what the ancient world was like. It mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that that is. And again, when you begin to understand, when you begin to think of the world and not understand, but when you begin to think of the Bible as again, written by people and not by God, because a lot of people believe that the Bible is written by God um, through people. And so therefore it's his divine word just as somebody had written it. But if you begin to understand that it was people trying to understand who God is and they are trying to write about this journey that their people have been through and the worship of that God, who is our God still to this day, I still 100% believe in him and everything that he's about and that kind of thing. But when you begin to understand that that is it and that it's actually the human error in the human heart that has caused these problems you'll begin to you'll begin to see it a little bit better to where you can not necessarily distance uh yourself from the old testament because there are a lot of phenomenal lessons to learn from that where god continues to take the wickedness of man and turn it towards good um and for his power and for his purposes um which is which is actually something that you should be able to see throughout the entirety of the text um but in particular when it comes to this stuff and the loving of your enemies and you can sit there and you can blame god i'd say that the people that are there or uh the people in the old testament that's on them that one's not on god that's very much what they think um, was how God, and like you said, struggling to interpret what it is that their God wants and that kind of stuff and, and projecting their image of what the world looks like on their God. Um, which again, we've seen and we've given examples for. So just something to consider. Um, it's not going to be a huge topic for tonight's discussion, but it's still just a quick reminder. exactly. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, the only thing I could really think of the whole time that this conversation on between the cleanup on aisle five all the way up to now is there's 
so many different cultural changes that have happened. There's been so many different translations of the Bible from original Hebrew to Greek to Latin to Spanish, English, Japanese, whatever the, the language may be. And all of these different languages outside of the English language have at least five different words for love that all have a varying um, context and varying level of what that love is. Uh, so, you know, some people might think that the love that is talked about in the verses we read was a, a kind-hearted respect. Like, I don't necessarily have to like the guy, but I'm going to say hi to him. If he's in need, I'm still going to help him out or her out or them out. Um, and, and that's kind of where my whole thing comes in with, again, talking about my experiences in the jail. There's a lot of people in there. They come in drunk. They come in high. They come in just mad at the world that have called me just about every name under the sun taking a couple punches from a couple people who got upset. I've broken up fights between people. And at the end of the day, I still give them a level of respect to where they know they're human and they know that if they need something, I will help them out to the best of my ability. And that's kind of where I think that this verse leads a lot of people. Too many people are stuck on that word love, even though there's probably 15 different pronunciations and meanings of that word love depending on what language you're reading the bible in well we just for english we have one word but we have i don't know look it up there's probably what six different at least at least four mm -hmm. but many 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 and in our language rather than having different words it's the context of what you're right so you're correct but i'm glad you brought up the jail and your job and how that intersects with what we're talking tonight and i didn't think about this until you're just talking about it so we have this situation what last week where we have these memphis cops uh, oh, yeah. just putting aside how bad their training might have been whatever just let's just say they're the best trained they're veteran cops whatever we're talking about the memphis cops the memphis cops who beat this kid to death oh okay and not the other Tennessee not, cops. Not, not, not the, the other Tennessee not cops. Not the Thomas the Train cop. Oh, golly, that's great. Okay, uh, anyways, right? Yeah, I was like, uh, which Tennessee cop are we talking about at this point? Memphis cop. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm tracking. <laughs> like a train. <laughs> They thought they could. They they <laughs> uh. <laughs> so when you when you start looking, let's let's just say if you're a cop, you're you've got a suspect, or you just know you know because of the the moment. Even though technically they're a suspect, they've done something. You've witnessed it. I would imagine as a cop, once you start looking at them as your enemies, and I think this is what we see a lot of times. Once you start, and it's understandable why. But once you start seeing these people you're inter inter interacting with as enemies, then you get a situation where you lose your temper and make things worse. 100%. And it would seem in your job, the best you can actually do by trying to love your enemy as much as you can and keep that respect and, and in that way keep things dialed down 
And again, that, that's not always possible. Some, you know, uh, you might be with a suspect who just their aim that night is to ratchet up, ratchet up, ratchet up. They're looking mm-hmm. to pick a fight. But particularly in the jail, I would imagine the more you just kind of try to, in this, con- again, using the loose term love, love on them and not let them get to you, it makes your job better. And with some of them, it might rub off on them. At least with you and your interaction. Yeah, I mean, um, I've recently been able to move out of the jail, and I'm now on uh, a field training for the actual street patrol deputy side. And I've seen some of the guys out there that were in the jail that because of that level of respect that I gave them, because of that level of, um, we'll use in this context, to define respect as love, um, I can see them on the streets and I just check up on them. Hey, you paying all your fines? Yeah, man, I'm doing good on that. I got myself checked into a rehab. I'm doing a lot better. Hey, thanks for checking up on me and not just being that guy that's expecting me to mess up again. And I mean, it, it's one of those things that's helped me learn how to talk to people. Um, learning the level of love that is respect between law enforcement and your suspect or just your person that happens to run the red light because they're running late for work um you can gauge their demeanor and speak with them and not speak at them i mean at a certain level you have to speak at them because you're in a position of authority at that moment but they don't feel like they're getting talked down on. They feel like they're getting spoken with and they can carry on a conversation. And honestly, it that the officer that I've been training under recently, um, he keeps a pack of cigarettes in his car. Just so even the guys that are getting agitated because they thought they were up to date on their payments, but it turns out they have a warrant for their arrest because they're not making payments hey man you want a cigarette before you go in there i know it's been a rough night for you um maybe it'll help you calm down and whenever that guy brings people to jail i never have issues with them but i've had other officers where they'll just go out there and oh you're the dirt bag that i got a call about i'm gonna rough you up a little bit and then throw you in the jail and now the jailers have to deal with it right I imagine Colton, as a teacher, you have to, this, trying to follow this helps out as well. You're not dealing with kids necessarily that are your your enemy, but they're not making life miserable, uh, they're not making life easy. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I think kids are a little bit easier. I don't know. It it really just depends kind of on on your outlook on people. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to bash people in my profession, uh, just like I don't think Jeff was bashing anybody in his profession. I just think that there's a lot of people out there that just, um, believe it or not, in our area, if you're a teacher, you can technically be in it for the money. Um, And so there's just like sometimes where it's just like you're not, you don't care about the damn kids, you know? And so that's really frustrating, and so you see them get very frustrated all the time at at stuff. I would say that teaching actually brings a lot of us that do care. It brings us life, 
COVID was terrible because you didn't get to get that interaction with the kids and and spend some time hanging out and loving on kids and all that kind of stuff. And so that's it's a really crucial, awesome moment. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever not love them, uh, even. Uh, when they can be annoying and that kind of stuff. But even then, like, even the most annoying kid that I've ever had is still, like, it's really not that bad in the in the long run or anything. And, and maybe I'm downplaying it a little bit, but that's just, that's just how it is. No, know? that's fine. It might not apply. It, so I think I went into this when I chose this as a topic – it seemed to me this was, well, do, do we want to call it a rule? What do we want to call it? A, a commandment? A worldview of Jesus? Probably a worldview is probably the best way to describe it. I think commandment is uh, included in the whole process just because, you know, when it asks what is the greatest commandment, he says to love God. Um and then to love your neighbor as yourself right beside it. And though this is your enemy, not your neighbor, and maybe we'll have to go back to the whole Greek uh, situation, but I believe that they use the exact same Greek word for both of them. So this is love your enemies as yourself, um, and then also to love your... uh, to love your neighbor, um, which is to, again, show your neighbor the same kind of love that uh, is shown in this. So, um, Yeah, I, I agree with what Colton just said as far as possibly in the commandment side of things. Um, I mean, when I was a kid doing church plays on Sunday mornings and things like that, I mean, the line I remember, because I got to be... Uh, Speaking of law enforcement, I got to be the law enforcement deputy or whatever it was during that play, and um, I had to memorize the line. It was so hard for me to memorize, and now I can't forget it for the life of me, is uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the guy playing Jesus coming at me with, and, and love your neighbor as yourself, you know? That's right. So... So do you think we, would you agree, is it, well, would you agree that we as Christians really fall short on this one? Uh, I think everyone at some extent would agree with this. This is like a nice little like guilty. This is the really hard one, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, mean Jesus even says it when he when he's talking, right? I mean, he he he's not giving us an out, but he's 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 explain he's he knows it's difficult. It is difficult, and he's not. Yeah, he's not making any friends with this statement. And again, when we look back at the history and we sit there and we say, okay, the Roman Empire, blah blah blah, whatever that means. Uh, the Roman Empire is occupying Jerusalem. 
That's what I'd like. That's that's how you would view it in today's terms. Think of it in terms of that. Right. Uh, don't sit there and say because you you could sit there and you're like, oh, they're a part of the Roman Empire. Uh, no, they are. They are people that are occupying land to which they believe that they own. So the the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel believe that that land is theirs, and these people have came in and they said, nope. This is ours. Every single person in the United States would have a problem with somebody coming in and saying that. Right. Just imagine if Russia just decided the United States is ours. They're occupying our territory. Or even and, actively what they were doing what they're doing now in Ukraine and Right, exactly. Like, and that and that Ukraine. is and that is what they've done. Except it's a little bit further down the road to which uh, Ukraine or for example, Ukraine would have fallen, right? And they're there occupying those territories, doing whatever it is that they wish as according to their laws. And so Jesus is saying that it is God's intentions that you are to love that person or to love that government, to love all of those people that are a part of that government in the same way that you love your children, which is really hard for a lot of people to do. Right. Again, think about it in Russians, China, whatever. I mean, whatever Cold War winner you want to have on this whole subject. North Korea, I don't care. Understanding that those are the ideas that Jesus is preaching on, that he wants you to love them even though they are occupying your territory, they are making you pay their taxes, they are making you follow their rules. Um, and they only give you certain times to be out. They only allow you to worship during their time and that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, that's completely up to them and what they want. Understanding that is huge for being able to discern what it is that Jesus is asking of you when he asks you to love. And so absolutely this is not easy. Not at all easy. I don't, I'm going to say this, but we don't even have to imagine, we don't have to go that far. We live in a country right now where... Well, this is sour, no? Uh, yeah, let's take a quick commercial break. We're now, we've now moved to the third beer. Just so everyone knows, we're sharing. We're not drinking. Mm, beer. This is Russian River Velvet Glow Pale Dry Beer. That's all it says. What's our ABV? Ooh, it's like a... This is a Hefeweizen. 4.75. Does this not taste like a Hef? Velvet Glow is an homage to the Grace family, who once owned Grace Brothers Brewing right in Santa Rosa. Uh, Velvet Glow is a Hell's Hellas style lager with crisp malt oh, it's character a Hell's. and dry, refreshing finish. I have to admit, when I saw it today, I, I, my brain saw pale ale, so... It's good. It is. Instead of pale dry. It's a nice uh, refresh, refresher for the end of the evening. We don't have to, to go to country occupying the United States. We currently live in a country where a prominent Christian group is running commercials all throughout the fall during NFL games up until they'll be doing it, I imagine, through the Super Bowl. 
where one of the themes they're talking about is families not talking to one another because of politics. And there might be people listening to this who have that family experience, who know someone where, or know someone who's got that family experience where somebody will not show up to family reunion or holiday because so-and-so at worst, so-and-so is going to talk about it and they don't want to talk about it and get into a fight or, or, or no, at best. And at worst, they just don't even want to be in the same room with them because someone's got to be evil for believing something on the right or being, or being someone on the left. And if you're one of those persons who believes that, you're wrong. This is this is literally what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, we had a uh, in my family we ran across this situation. Oh, I don't know. This would have been a year and a half ago. Yeah, there was there was a lot of tension based off of the 2020 election going into 2021 and there was just a lot off of that. People were far right, people were far left. And for the first time ever in my life, I, I had always sat there and I wondered, how do families get to the point where they just don't like talk to each other? Mm-hmm. And the conversations that we were having leading up to Christmas when family was coming in from in and out of town, it was like there was concerns about how it was going to be and the awkwardness and the weirdness that everybody was going to be feeling and the tension and people didn't want people to show up and they didn't want them to stay for long or whatever. And it was just like, seriously? Like, I don't, I couldn't even understand. Uh, I, we get political occasionally on this show. I'd say that uh, Tim, Tim has his opinions on where he's at and that kind of stuff. I, I'll tell you, the way, my opinion is that I actually stay fairly neutral on everything. And, like, when people actually look at the Democratic and Republican parties, they'll find that they're not actually that far apart. Um, It's just certain people within those parties can get fairly extreme. Um, And so I say that I'm fairly neutral. So it's always very frustrating to me. I'm often right of those that are on the left, and I'm often left of those that are on the right. Uh, It's just a weird place that I exist in. Um, and so people don't often find me on their side a lot. Um, and so it's very, uh, it was just very sad to see all these people that were, that are my family that I've loved for so long, just literally be wanting to avoid one another and not have conversations with them, um, and not talk to them, um, and just not be around each other. And it was just, it's very sad and it's not good and it's not healthy um, for us as human beings to do that to one another um, and that's definitely not the response that we're looking for here but it's something that's very common in yes. the United States right now mm-hmm. yeah so I, I just I think this is a let's call it a commandment it's a commandment I think Christians would be much better we would be much more impactful in the world if we had this more at the front of our toolkit than we do by that i mean look divorce is a rampant thing in this country and yeah if you're the one who's been cheated on you're divorcing you know we, we often say when you're the victim 
we give you a little more latitude. Although at some point, yeah, you're going to have to forgive and love your enemy, love your spouse who's your, now your enemy. But I've seen so many times when there's a divorce that the family men- members want to act as if they've been the one who's been cheated on and ratchet up the confrontation when this is the exact moment if particularly if you're a believer that you should be reaching for this in the toolkit and doesn't mean you have to be you know super nice to the guy who's cheated on your sister but it does mean you need to be pleasant or at very least not be the one who's contributing to the drama and if there's kids involved, it's even more important because I think the kids the kids need to see someone's modeling. Oh, everything doesn't have to be being douchebags back and forth. It's kind of the weird space that I live in right now. Like, I, I'll be honest and admit I'm falling short of the loving your enemies part when it comes to um, our family situation right now with my sister. And I'm I'm still a little bit upset over everything that happened with that, but I mean, I'm I'm getting better. I feel like, but I mean, this conversation is definitely, honestly, helping me get even more to the point where I'm like, it happened and it sucks, but it happened, and I'm just gonna get over it. Well, Jeff, you're not. Let's get let's get really personal here. You're not my son. You're. Did you not see me go out of my way never to talk bad about your father? Yeah, that that's a hundred percent true. You you really did. I mean, there was times you you would give in, but I think it was mostly you were trying to be a supporting spouse to my mother who. But generally was upset, speaking, I went out of my way. Generally speaking, to, you definitely did. Go and out I of your way. particularly went out of my way to to try not to say anything in front of you mm-hmm. or directly to you. Because that's disrespectful, one, to your biological father. And if I expect to be disrespectful to your biological father, how can I, how can I expect the same amount of respect to be uh, returned back to me as your stepfather? How can I complain if, if, you're, if, if you're going around complaining to your actual father about me when I'm bad-mouthing your dad to you? Right. That's hypocritical. One, and two, it's not following what... I think what Jesus is trying to do... One of the things Jesus is trying to do here when, when he says love your enemies is, is actually ratchet down the drama, ratchet down the violence, ratchet down the stuff that gets us to b- the boiling point and confrontation. I think... As a practical term. I, I, you know, what he's literally trying to do is, no, you, you know, you love people the same way I love... Uh, I get crapped on. I get, <laughs> I get my name used in vain. I get mocked. I, I get crucified, and I still love every everyone, and I die for them equally. You got to do the same thing. But practically speaking, when we go through the world, I think we find the the more we can apply this to the douchebag person at work that we don't like, the douchebag employer we don't like, the boyfriend or girlfriend we have, the the ex spouse whatever we end up being better for it and you know if that person even when you're loving them is rotten there's nothing you can do about it but i think more often than not you'll find it soften them around the edges too 
and it leads to a much better world. Yeah, and uh, and here's something. I it's against human nature. Your human nature is is very tribal. It's very absolutely. Um, it's very self centered, um, and not necessarily self centered in the sense of of you personally although you, you will find that it does come down to that a, a lot in your own survival in your own it's a lot of actual yeah a lot of yeah a lot of the things that you will go through in life you can actually and a lot of the decisions you will make will you will find if you go back and you reflect on them will be based on whether or not you got something out of it and so also being said that like those people that are a part of your tribe are important to you and so when something happens to that, I I can't just sit there and say, and we've talked about this before, that you can just leave it alone, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean that you just automatically forget it ever no. happened and, it's, and it no longer existed. Nope, the hurt is still there. The pain is still deep. Um, there are certain modifications and things that need to happen on both sides to be able to function or whatever. And that means lots of time is involved and that kind of stuff. Yes, I do believe that there are things where it's like you need to not contribute um, to this type of situation. But again, I, I, this is not easy. Psychologically, this is not easy. Um, because what we don't talk about is when we say it's not easy, but it, but it seems that easy, but it, again, where this is difficult is in your brain. Yes. No, you, exactly. You have to get into, look, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a little boastful. I think I'm better than most at this, but it's only because I've had to really focus. And again, it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word toolkit, but it's a euph- euphemism for my brain. I have now got okay. You've got to treat your enemy. You've got to love your enemy. It's it's far enough in my brain catalog to where when I catch myself losing my mind, or you know, people get frustrated. I don't think Jesus is saying you can't get frustrated, but when it comes to actually treating them. The way they need to be, the way you would treat them, properly treat them, that animal-based thing gets. Oh, whoa, no! I need. Nope. I'm not supposed. To, I can't do that. I'm not supposed to do that. I, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta suck it up, and I. I can't do that. I don't know how we are about cross-referencing Bible references, um, but in Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 to 25 um, Jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it for whoever loses their life for me will find it and I, I feel like you know at when I first read that verse I stuck to it because nobody in my church experience wanted to talk about that they wanted to talk about my yoke is light and i will never give you challenges that you can't overcome but i think this is this ties in really well to this verse is this is part of taking up that cross you gotta fight that animalistic instinct that's within all of us to just go straight for revenge go straight for 
you did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Um, and just really think about this is one of those moments I need to have that cross on my back and really just kind of turn the other cheek and and not retaliate the way I normally would. And that, that tying into why this is so difficult. Yeah. And I think what's helpful and kind of just again, when we talk about that toolkit and kind of stuff, this is actually something I don't think I ever cared about uh, growing up. I think that I thought that I was doing it well enough um, and that kind of stuff. But I think the best thing to possibly do, and it's very challenging, I don't think that it's easy at all. Mm-mm. Uh, it's been three weeks since we mentioned Greg Boyd, I think, so I think it's okay to bring him back up. <laughs> was, and this is actually, I, I kid you not, Ed, this was something that he had said in a sermon and he continued to say in several sermons that I listened from him uh, thereafter and I just was like, he's absolutely right. I got, I, it's, it cannot be disputed and I've said it on this podcast and I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to tell you this is where I got it from. And he's absolutely right. I'm not saying that there aren't hundreds of preachers that are preaching this every single Sunday, but still, uh, he said it, and for whatever reason, it resonated with me, and I, I needed to, to acknowledge it. And why it was so much different when Greg said it was Greg talked about personal experiences where he sat there and said... He talked about those political issues. He talked about, uh, you know, again, Greg is Anabaptist, and so he has issues with, you know, gun control. He has issues with violence uh, with uh, with other people, that kind of stuff. Um, and if you know him, yeah, huge pacifist, that guy. And he sat there, and he, and he just had to sit there and say, I have to tell myself, every single person that I meet, and especially those people, to try to... Get away from that amygdala triggering to where I'm angry, I'm involved, I'm emotionally distressed, is what I do, is I sit there and I say that person is unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus Christ would die on the cross for that person. Right? Because that's the message of the scriptures, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single person. No matter how much I hate that person across the room, Jesus Christ died for them the same way that he died for me. And that person is, and so therefore, for me, I have to show them just as much love as Jesus Christ uh, showed for them. And that's huge. That's massive. That's terrifying. And that is what we are called to do. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that gets to what I wasn't able to articulate when we started this podcast, which is, you know, when you read, when you read, uh, people start breaking down this verse and, and they lead into this. Now you got to understand. And, you know, I've read stuff where N.T. Wright has, he's pointed this out, but people have taken what I think they've taken is they've taken N.T. Wright out of context and said, well, you know, N.T. Wright points out that he they're talking that jesus is talking to a roman a, a, a jewish uh, audience and what he's telling them is they've got to love the romans and then they just stop there and they don't continue to quote nt right because i i know nt right that's not nt right and nt right's not 
he's very good at pointing out the historical thing, but he's not he's not one of those who says, but but we need to figure out how that applies to us today. Well, how that applies to us today and anybody, literally anybody, what, a couple of years, whatever, whatever that time frame is between when Jesus said that at the Sermon on the Mount and when he died on the cross, the thing that we, the context that we know that the Jewish audience doesn't know is the really the important thing. The important thing is what the Jewish, audi- Jewish audience is inter- internalizing that, though this is about you know, not get taking up violence and being a- angry with the Romans or the Pharisees. That, no, what Jesus means is, like you said, we've got to die. We've got to die on whatever our cross is and live up to the example he set. Yeah. So you can put whatever spin on, on it you want. And then it's our then it's our grasp. What we have to grapple is how does that in you know how does that how do we apply that to whatever situation we're in? And the easy ones are like I said, you got a family member you like don't like, you got a, a spouse you don't like, you got a, a coworker or a boss you don't like, or you don't like anybody on the other side of the political aisle. And then it starts getting, you know, when it gets it gets a little more dangerous when you're talking about someone who enters your house or going to war. But let's just keep it at least simple because I th- let's not go to the extreme interpretations of it, whether or not this means we're supposed to be pacifists or anti-violence. We're bad enough as it is as the interpersonal non-violent relationships in applying this. Yeah, small steps, people. We're bad at it at applying people within the church, and I don't mean big C church. I mean literally in the church you're in. This is getting too personal for me. Too. <laughs> I have. You need to retreat to your. I have space. no. I have no problems with anybody that I have ever worked with. In church. <laughs> me too, brother. <laughs> well. Okay, let's wrap this up. Can, can I bring up... Will you bring up something and then we'll wrap uh, it up? And we'll wrap it up. I, I, I think we need this. will lead us into another episode we do need to talk about what you alluded to. So um, I don't remember the code name we used for the guy. Um, the one that went off to live in the mountains for a while. Oh, hell if I remember that code name. That was from the Nolan episode where yeah. we had to cut out two, yeah, hours, so, two hours worth of content because... Uh, Stevie. Stevie, yeah, we'll go with Stevie. Um, Stevie, at one point, when it came to this topic, in a sense of loving your enemies, is he was not ashamed to call people out. Um, There's one time he literally interrupted the middle of youth group to say, if you're just here to smoke pot or have sex in the bathrooms of the church you need to just get up and leave um which i, fucking which, I mean it. i fucking love that guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean at the time it was like yeah you know what you're right but like nowadays it's just kind of like look those are maybe the people we need to reach out to more the people that might be lost and just looking for something to do on a wednesday Bring bring those people in, those peoples that are 
in a biblical sense, quote unquote, enemies of the church because they're going out and actively sinning in a place of worship, but um, in the sense of extramarital sex. I think what you meant to say was there is a bunch of teenagers acting like teenagers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah really. At at the end of the day, and it's just kind of that could have been. Hey, you know, I've I've heard there's been stuff going on, and I'm not really appreciative of it. And I heard there's if, some hormones that are flaring up. <laughs> Um, but if there's like issues that are going on and you're basically just looking for a place to stay, let me know and you know, we'll we'll set something up different for you instead of tying into that and Get the hell out. Yeah. At the end of the day. Like get him some condoms or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Open up one of those uh roving uh regional health clinic things like yeah. they have in front of the high schools now. So okay, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you feel like you're not doing a good job, you're not. You're not. None of us are. But we're not. Work towards. We are not. Work, work towards adding that, as I said, to the toolkit in your brain of trying to be a little of reminding yourself. Oh wait, no, I, I'm not. I am not allowed to behave as the world would. So how do I res- how do I respond in this situation? I think what you and I should do in a future topic, a future episode, and maybe this would be good to get uh, maybe a pastor on. I mean, we could speak to it, but I think pastor, a, a pastor who's spoken about this would be pretty good. And and honestly, this is something you and I would both agree pastors have recently started talking about from our experience, and that is how do I deal with that person I do not like, and yet I'm called to like or at least not hate. What, how am I supposed to handle that person? Am I supposed to just be a retread? Am I supposed to just act as if we're best friends? And there are things as Jesus followers that we, I think, should do. There are things we can do in order to ensure that we are not continually hurt. We're not supposed to be, we're not called to be uh, re, uh, speed bumps. Uh, by the by, the folks out there who want to just continue to poop on people, and so we probably need to have an episode of what are the boundaries that one can set up so that one is being forgiving and one is being loving in a kind of in a Jesus sense, Jesus follower sense, but also not offering oneself up to be just continually abused by this person. Right. Because uh, I, I, you and I would agree that it's been recent that people have started talking about that and i've only heard two pastors speak effectively on that my entire life and that those those sermons were given within the last five years and before that it was either not it was generally just not addressed at all right and i think because people just didn't want to pastors just didn't want to deal with it or I, i i'm not really sure why but uh we've both heard Two good sermons at two different churches from two different completely pastors just say like, no, nope, you're supposed to forgive, but these are the kind of ways to work through it so you're not being continually abused and, and torn up and, and uh, by that person that's that you've got beef with. So Right. All right, Jeff. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having me. As always, please re uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. 
I looked this week. We are on Google Play and we are on Spotify. But when I go and search, I cannot find them. So I will try to post in on Twitter and Instagram how you can find us on Spotify and Google Play. We're also on Amazon Music. Uh, but anyway, yes, rate, review, subscribe so we can get more people to listen. Send us your thoughts, your criticisms, your questions on Twitter, Instagram. It'll all be in the show notes. And you know what, Jeff? I just noticed that you've got an oaky accent and you've only been gone that long. You can go <laughs> <Yes>. to hell. <laughs> We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee We don't take our trips on LSD We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street Cause we like living right and being free We don't make a party out of loving But we like holding hands and pitching woo We don't let our hair grow long and shaggy Like the hippies out in San Francisco do And I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee, a place where even squares can have a ball. We still wave old glory down at the courthouse, and white lightning still the biggest thrill of all. Leather boots are still in style for manly footwear. Beads and Roman sandals won't be seen And football's still the roughest thing on campus And the kids here still respect the college dean And I'm proud to be an rookie from Muskogee Place where even squares can have a ball We still wave old glory down at the courthouse White lightning's still the biggest thrill of all And white lightning's still the biggest thrill of all